Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Namibians go to the polls today to elect a new president and parliament and the DRC protesters accuse that peacekeepers are failing to protect them from rebel attacks. In economics news, Malawi introduces carbon tax on vehicles and in sports news, International Olympic Committee condemns Russia. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. Africa, rise and shine. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. The people of Namibia are going to the polls to elect a new president and parliament against a backdrop of discontent over a lagging economy and massive unemployment. But analysts say the ruling Swapo Party, which has been in power since independence from South Africa in 1990, is unlikely to lose its overwhelming majority. On Monday, a Namibian court dismissed a case aimed at preventing the use of electronic voting machines, which opponents of President Hage Kaingob fear could be used to rig the result. At least 39 people have died in flooding in the Democratic Republic of Congo's capital, Kinshasa, following torrential rains. The heavy rain caused landslides near the University of Kinshasa. A Reuters witness at the scene said at least three houses had fallen into a ravine and a recently paved road had also collapsed. The vice governor of Kinshasa province says rescue workers are continuing to hunt for bodies. The French Defence Ministry says France will not turn its back on the fight against terrorism after 13 of its soldiers were killed in Mali. Officials say they died when two helicopters collided as they moved in to support ground forces fighting militants. The BBC's Will Ross reports. Four and a half thousand troops are often working with soldiers from Mali, Niger and Burkina Faso. Those countries' armies appear to have made little progress against the Al-Qaeda-linked groups and they've been unable to protect civilians, many of whom are becoming increasingly angry with their governments. This latest operation, we're told, involved tracking them for days and then attempting a dangerous attack with ground troops and aircraft on a moonless night. Fans of Moroccan rapper Gawi have posted on his Facebook page in reaction to him being sentenced to a year in prison for insulting the police on social media. Most of them have been praying for him and have called for his release. Others have expressed their anger with the authorities, suggesting that they can behave with impunity. Last month, Gawi posted a song on YouTube called Long Live the People. It was a highly critical attack on corruption, privilege and state abuse and has already had more than 15 million views. And the U.S. Congress has invited President Donald Trump to its first impeachment hearing on the 4th of December. It would mark the next stage in the impeachment inquiry, which centers on a July phone call between Trump and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. In the call, 
Trump requested that Zelensky investigate Joe Biden, currently the front-runner to the Democratic candidate in next year's presidential election. The probe is looking into whether Trump used the threat of withholding U.S. military aid to pressure Ukraine into investigating the Bidens. If it does attend, Trump would be able to question witnesses. At a rally in Florida, Trump attacked Democrats and the impeachment inquiry. First, it was the Russia hoax, total hoax. It was a failed overthrow attempt and the biggest fraud in the history of our country. And then you look, the Mueller deal, you remember that mess? And now the same maniacs are pushing the deranged impeachment. For Channel Africa News, I'm Amanda Machaka. Headlines at 7.30. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature program that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective, can be heard every Wednesday at 1000 hours UCT, with repeats on Wednesday at 2000 hours, Thursday at 300 hours, and Sunday at 1300 hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective. Spotlight Africa. The UN mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo is no more welcome in the country's eastern province of North Kivu as more killings by allied democratic forces are reported in the Beni area. Citizens have intensified protests since Monday in Beni and on Tuesday in both Budembo and Goma to demand MONUSCO's departure as they accuse the mission of failing to protect them and neutralize the ADF. Januel Bomeze reports. Angry protesters attacked the UN mission offices in Beni where they succeeded to burn in the offices of the mayor as they believe the Democratic Republic of Congo's government and MONUSCO have failed to keep inhabitants in safety. At least two people were killed and several others wanted. The demonstrations reached both the town of Butembo and the North Kivu province's capital city Goma on Tuesday. Protesters expressed their anger by burning tires to block the streets and tried to chase any UN vehicle that could try to move. The situation became normal only in the afternoon, but indeed it was worse in the morning, according to this activist from the Fight for Change civil movement, well known as Lucha Espoirangalukie. It wasn't good. There are two main areas where people were blocking roads. The first one is the area which is called Majengo neighborhood. The second area was the University of Goma, where some people were blocking roads. All those people were protesting against Monisco and against the insecurity, which is continuing in Beni region. They weren't known because no organization, any citizen movement, and any political party was 
on the front. They were just citizens and students protesting against Monisco. This happened after at least eight people were killed on Sunday by the Allied Democratic Forces, bringing to more than 70 the number of inhabitants who have been killed since the DRC army launched a military operation in that part of the Democratic Republic of Congo in October. The fight for change civil movement has said it encourages such a protest against the UN mission here. Although Monusco has put it clear, it's not fully part of the military operation underway in Beni, but it's backing the national army and protecting civilians. The UN mission has been deployed here in the DRC since more than 18 years, but inhabitants of North Kiev want Monusco out since they believe it has failed seriously. Once more, the luchas is Galukie. For us, we are encouraging all those people who are protesting, but they must be non-violent and peaceful, because every Congolese needs peace, and many many Congolese need to the departure of Monisco, because they are in Congo since 20 years, but security is continuing day by day. Problem is concerning all the Congo, but the North Kivu is on the top because many insecurity regions are in Nazivu, like in Beni territory, in Beni city, Uchoa, Masisi, and other regions. So everyone needs to have the peace. We, we don't need to have another force which we can call Munisco, which in his mission is to bring peace in Congo. But they didn't bring peace in our country. We prefer to stay just with our national army too. It's not stronger as we can need instead of staying with another force which is not doing anything. The Monisco have the duty to go in front of rebellion by protecting civilian people. They don't need to have the authorization of our national army to attack those groups. According to the 7th chapter, they have an obligation. It is their duty to attack, not only to stay in their office and to, and to tell people and to tell things on media. They need to be in front of all those rebellions look like our national army is doing for now. Meanwhile, the UN mission has called for calm and responsibility as violent protests continue in the North Kivu province. At a National Security Council chaired by President Felix Tshisekedi on Monday, the special representative of the UN Secretary General here in the DRC, Leila Zerugui, stressed that she understood the anger and frustration of the population after further deadly attacks by the ADF. However, Zerugui noted that attacking the mission's facilities and those of the local authorities only weakened the fight of the armed forces of the Democratic Republic of Congo against those Ugandan rebels. According to the UN Secretary General Special Representative, MONUSCO will strengthen cooperation with its partners and work closely with the authorities to jointly find solutions for the people of Beni. Jean Noel, Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa.
Namibia votes in a general election today with 11 candidates running for president. Ten candidates are expected to run for the presidency with Haig Gangob expected to win with a reduced margin due to voter anger over the worst economic crisis since independence from apartheid South Africa in 1990. More from senior research consultant at the Institute of Security Studies, Lisa Lowe Fordren. You know, in 2014, at the last election, Swaz were overwhelmingly won by 80%, and uh, President Harbour Gangop got 87%, which is almost unprecedented when you look mm. at the former liberation movement in the region. So this time around, the prediction is that it won't be that easy, even though uh, really I think everyone agrees that Swaz will win and, and Gangop will get his second term. But it is because, as you mentioned economic slump. I mean, since 2016, there's been a huge uh, economic decline in growth. The country is in a recession. It is due to the drop in commodity prices, but also because of this devastating drought that has really hit a large part of uh, Southern Africa. But for Namibia, it's even worse because, you know, it's a desert country and the very small Mm. areas of arable Mm. land have now been pushing people into really into food insecurity as well. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the, the ruling swapper is concerned that uh, the current recession will have an impact in the elections? Yes, I, I presume they are concerned because this has been one of the main rallying cries of all the opposition parties in terms of accusing the government of not doing enough mismanaging the economy. You know, you've seen at the rallies in Vintuk and so on in the urban areas that people have come out purely because they're really suffering um, hardships. Not that the situation has changed that dramatically. You know, the inequality in Namibia has been quite uh, long, you know, ongoing, and there are issues of service delivery sanitation, electrification, and so on, has always been a problem. But it's true that now the opposition really has capitalized almost on this economic crisis and Mm. is accusing the government of not doing enough. Mm. Now, let's take a look at um, Esther Munjangu's chances um, here. I mean, she is the first uh, woman to run for a presidency. What are her chances? Now, chances, I think she herself uh, and her party were only expecting to get a few parliamentary mm, seats. Mm. I mean, you know, her chances are maybe not that great as, as some of the others, you know. Who've been at it for it, a while, yeah. Yes, who've been at mm. it for a while. There's some of them that, and then the independent candidate that everybody's talking about, Itula, who, you know, is a member of Swapu and has really been having big rallies and so on. Mm-hmm. So she's interesting. She's definitely a voice for women. President Gangop uh, has not done too badly when it comes to gender equality mm-hmm. and pushing more women in parliament and so on. That was one of the reasons why actually the cabinet was um, enlarged because they, they introduced some quotas for gender. But she also, from what I understand, campaigned a lot on the issue of the genocide by the Germans and restitution mm-hmm. and mm. so on in, in Namibia. Mm. Now, when we look at uh, Swapo, of course, we are almost expecting them to definitely come out tops, but of course, with a reduced margin. Do you believe that this uh, reduced margin worries them at all, especially because, you know, they'd be in charge of the National Assembly? Yes, you know, going forward, definitely. But they're still quite 
strong at the moment? Yes, I think, you know, the narrative of the former liberation movement is still very strong. And I must say, Swapu mm. has really increased um, its support compared to all the other parties, you know, that we've seen the ANC in South Africa, ZANU-PF, Frelimo and Mozambique, which we spoke about not too long ago. So Swapu actually has managed to continue I would say benefit from that narrative, mm, but mm. the generational renewal within parties like that is important. Sure. Um, of course, independence, as you said, it's not that far off, mm, but mm. there is a whole new generation that were born after independence. And so uh, Swapo will have to, in future, show that it is redistributing wealth. And mm. land, of course, land is a, is a huge Major issue in Namibia as well. But for now, compared to, I would say, the other parties in the region that are in a similar situation, they've done relatively well, they've managed to get the support of uh, of the voters. And to be frank, you know, the opposition parties are really small and they're very divided. Some of them have now thrown their weight behind the independent candidate for presidency, but in mm. Parliament, you know, uh, Swapu is still very sure. strong. But it's almost a trend, as I said, that, that we've also seen it is very difficult for parties to break away mm. from uh, these very strong historical movements that are um, all, uh, even in rural areas, very well established. Yeah. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa 1. On Twitter, at Channel Africa 1 and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Zimbabwe officials reportedly intervened on Tuesday to offset the grounding of flights into and out of the country after air traffic controllers at major airports reportedly downed tools affecting some flights in the capital Harare and Bulawayo. Zimbabwe is battling an economic crisis that has seen inflation erode workers' salaries, leading to various workers' unions declaring incapacitation to report for duty. Simon Muchemo has more from Harare. There was a crisis at the Robert International Airport on Tuesday morning as planes were not able to take off or land, and as a result, hundreds of passengers got stranded. According to local media reports, Civil Aviation Authority of Zimbabwe, cars, employees, particularly air traffic controllers, have downed tools, forcing the airport to grind to a halt. Former Cabinet Minister Professor Jonathan Moyo said on his Twitter handle that it was a suspected sabotage case where someone crashed the radar system at the airport. Planes coming from Bulawayo and Victoria Falls to Harare remained grounded for close to three hours as communication with the tower in the capital was close to none. This left most citizens in panic and wondering if November 2017 coup is repeating itself in the month of November in 2019. On one hand, security was said to be on high alert in the country following the surprise arrival of the Vice President Konstantino Chiwenga from China where he was receiving treatment for four months. Meanwhile, the CARS Acting Director General Margaret Mantiziba 
denied sabotage reports and had this to say during a phone interview with Channel Africa. Yes, we did encounter some uh, operational challenges in the morning. And I emphasize it was operational in the sense that uh, we had uh, a shift uh, that was supposed to be collected that then resulted in the shift not coming on time. And that created the delay that was experienced in the morning. We sorted those out after about uh, two hours our shifts were all in place and we were able to service all aircraft and uh, the services have been normal since then. We have had aircraft coming in as usual and uh, passengers going out and we have not encountered any other challenges. So yes, there was a glitch in the morning, but uh, it was purely operational. We have sorted that out. Zimbabwe is in the middle of numerous challenges that includes cash, electricity, water, hospital medicine shortages, which worsened after the November 2017 coup. The coming back of Chiwenga sparked a new level of hope that he was going to oust President Emerson Mnangagwa, hence the airport incident on Tuesday excited quite a number of citizens. Meanwhile, Cabinet announced medical doctors who have been striking for the past 82 days calling for better salaries that they had been fired. Nearly 500 doctors out of a total number of 1,600 lost jobs and that government was in the process of recruiting doctors from other countries or sectors in the country. Minister of Information Monica Mchangwa revealed during a post-cabinet briefing on Tuesday. The Minister of Health and Child Care reported that the doctor's strike is now gone beyond 84 days with the doctors continuing to cite incapacitation. As such, health service provision at most central hospitals remain constrained. That report by Simon Muchemwa. With just days to go until the long-awaited Black Friday, millions of consumers around the world are looking forward to the myriad of deals they can score. Billions of dollars are spent on the one day worldwide. Consumers are warned, however, of not overspending on the day. Statistics show that sales more than doubles on Black Friday compared to any ordinary trading day. Joining us on the line now is Sumay Dipanar, spokesperson for Cash Connect, a leading provider of cash management solutions for the retail sector. Sumay, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning. Thank you very much. Now, Sumay, South Africans have certainly jumped on the Black Friday bandwagon, especially in the last three to four, uh, four years. As a company that manages uh, processes and lends cash for our retailers, what's your take on Black Friday for our retail community? Well, it is definitely, you know, Black Friday is a golden opportunity for our retailers, especially in this tough economy. You know, they need to maximize their profits. So, uh, you know, South Africans last year have spent 2.9 billion rand on Black Friday alone. And they predict that almost 80% of their consumers will uh, participate in Black Friday, you know, in two, three days from now. So for retailers, it's absolutely important to make sure that their shelves are absolutely stocked up. Now, as you've just touched on the fact that, uh, you know, um, last year alone, South African consumers spent in the region of uh, about 3 billion rand on Black Friday, with sales having doubled compared to that of just an ordinary day. 
This indeed is a good jackpot for retailers uh, to cash in. What exactly can or should they be doing to reap the rewards? Yes, you know, the reality is that stock shortages can really place a ceiling, you know, on the revenue potential for retailers on Black Friday. And cash flow is the lifeblood for retail businesses. And without cash flow, they cannot stock up. So that is why companies like Cash Connect Capital offers retailers affordable trading capital in just 24 hours. The best way for a retailer to maximize their profits when they stock up is to actually make use of bulk purchases at discounted rates. But we need to understand that these special offers, you know, when they do present themselves, there is a very short window of opportunity. So retailers, they need to strike when it's hot. So we find in the industry that retailers can spot these great opportunities, but they don't always have the capital at hand, um, you know, to, to make use of these great opportunities. So it's critical for retailers to access capital in 24, 48 hours in order to capitalize on these bulk purchases at a discounted rate. You know, there's no doubt that uh, cash volumes will rise significantly on, on Black Friday. Does this not pose a risk for criminal activity? Um, and if so, what can retailers do to mitigate the risk? Uh, yes, big trading seasons, unfortunately, like, you know, Black Friday, Easter and Festival that is just around the corner, they can present risk uh, for criminal activity. But the good news is that there are ways to mitigate the risk for retailers. They can invest in an automated and a robust retail cash vault that can deter and affect criminals to other and softer targets. Um, and if the criminals do uh, decide to hit the store, um, you know, these robust cash vaults can protect the cash, the staff and the customers. Um, and, you know, these retail cash vaults have been put through a test and it has proven to be the most effective deterrent to crime. Now, what piece of advice can you give retailers ahead of uh, Black Friday to make sure they actually do take advantage of this retail trading opportunity? Well, the first thing is they have to take advantage of this opportunity, so they must never miss out. Um, And they can take advantage of quick and reliable finance options like with Cash Connect Capital, which are designed to enable these retailers to access trading capital and cash flow in just 24 hours. So use the opportunity, stock up and boost the profits. And, you know, obviously, we, we, we were talking about it with my colleagues. Um, and, uh, um, you know, have we seen a decline in terms of uh, um, the, the percentages being offered as, as uh, um, you know, sales amounts or, or Black Friday amounts when you compare um, countries like South Africa and uh, into, but the other countries, uh, global countries like uh, the U.S., for instance, where um, items go for as less as, uh, you know, 90 percent. And here in South Africa, it's only up to about 50 percent. Yes, I actually did read a study the other day where they say it is predicted that um, the average discount in South Africa will be in the region between 45 and 55 percent. But my understanding is that, you know, uh, you know, South Africa, we are still up there when it is all about presenting these discounts to consumers. So, um, yes. Well, I guess the retailers are going to benefit. Uh, Sume, thank you so much for your time. Oh, good pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> that was Sumay Dipinar, spokesperson for Cash Connect, joining us on the line.
The South African Commission of Inquiry into State Capture has heard how the Guptas used their relationship with former President Jacob Zuma to bully their way into business. The former director of the domestic branch of state security agency Gibson and Jenje told the commission in Johannesburg on Tuesday that he was brought in to mediate at a meeting where Ajay Gupta demanded a 90% stake in a company linked to former President Khalima Mutlante's wife Gukum Jali. Jenje, together with Mo Sheikh and Jeff Matretuka, worked at the intelligence agency from 2009 to 2011 when they were forced to resign due to the breakdown of relations with then State Security Minister Siabonga Kwele. Nomalizo Mandela reports. Gibson Jenje told the commission how he was called by his longtime friend Achilu Thabo, requesting to come to former President Khalima Mutlante's home in Sentin. He said he found Luthabo there with Mutlante's wife, Gugumjali, who both were directors of a mining company called Imperial Crown Trading, ICT. Jenje said Luthabo then requested that he accompany them to the Gupta's Saxon World home and mediate between the parties. He said AJ Gupta said that they were not greedy but have a lot of people to take care of with that 90%. Is the position that Mr. AJ Gupta was demanding to be given this 90% for free? He said what the, the input that they were going to make was more than that 90%. But he was not going to pay any cash. He, he was not going to put in money now. He was she, not going to buy the, these shares. No, he was not going to buy these shares. But he was going to make the, uh, all, all, all manner of problems go away uh, mm. because of his influence and because he's got the money. And Yes. Jenja also told the commission of another investigation that former state security minister Siabonga Tuele stopped. He said Tuele requested him to investigate operations of a covert principal agent network known as PEN with allegations of abuse of taxpayers' money. Much like the SAPS's secret slash fund, it was found that PEN was used for the purchase and leasing of properties, buying of 300 vehicles, employing untrained or vetted agents, and siphoning off funds to family and relatives of senior members. Ginger says after handing over the pen investigation to the NPA, Kwele instructed him to stop further investigations. I said, but you need to tell me why we cannot. Mm. He said, no, it's the president. President's decision. President's decision. You said, you said it was the president's decision. It's the president's decision. That it should not be continued. That we stop. Correct, chair. I said, but why? He said the president thinks that this is going to compromise national security if we go ahead and prosecute. I said, no, Minister, we're dealing with criminality here, not national security. He was adamant that uh, it's the President's decision. Uh, yeah, I should just say to it that uh, uh, SIU and, and everyone else do not proceed. Concluding his testimony earlier on, former head of South Africa's Secret Service, Mo Sheikh, told the Commission that his involvement in the investigation of the Guptas was a significant cause of him being pushed out of intelligence agency. He said he did not know the enormous influence the Guptas had on state affairs. I always considered them uh, not to be quite open about it. Uh, I considered them to be hangers-on that you normally get in, you know, in the political processes, etc. Mm. Um, but I, I, I did not know of the enormous influence that they wielded. Mm. That report by Nomalizo Mandela. Our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka.
SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. In the headlines, Namibians are going to the polls to elect a new president and parliament against a backdrop of discontent over a lagging economy and massive unemployment. France says it will not turn its back on the fight against terrorism after 13 of its soldiers were killed in Mali. And the head of a maximum security jail and a prison doctor have been arrested in Nigeria following allegations that they enabled a prisoner to conduct internet scams. I'll have details on these and other stories at the top of the hour. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an African perspective. It's 7.32 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. As countries prepare to mark World AIDS Day this coming Sunday, a new international report on the global state of HIV-AIDS research has identified South Africa as one of the leading research producers worldwide. The University of Cape Town has also been singled out as the most influential HIV-AIDS research institution globally based on the impact of its published papers. It is joined in the list of the top 10 HIV-AIDS research institutions by the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg. To discuss this further, we are now joined on the line by Linda Gale Becker, Professor of Medicine at the Desmond Tutu HIV Center at the University of Cape Town. Prof, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Thanks, Lily. It's a pleasure to be on the on the program today. Now, give us an overview of the report by Elsevier's Analytical Services and how it was put together. Yeah, so the um, the researchers at Elsevier looked at Scopus, which is um, a, a sort of a mine engine that uh, curates all the uh, published data, research data. And they looked from the time of the start of the epidemic in 1982 all the way up to the present. Um, And by using specific terms, they uh, pulled out all the uh, research output that has been generated in the world since then um, and looked to see, you know, where those research papers were coming from um, and also related it to the actual history of the epidemic. So, um, you know, what the trends looked like since the time of the start of the epidemic. And then finally, look to see which countries were most prominent and which institutions. So uh, a a really interesting report to read because I think it reflects the history of the epidemic over the last 30-odd years. Now, what does South Africa's leading position reflect about the role of research in the fight against HIV-AIDS? Well, they, interestingly, they used a, an indicator called the Relative Activity Index, which um, looks not only at how much output there was overall, but also how much output in HIV there was compared to other research output in a country. Um, and what is striking is South Africa features in both um, the amount of output overall, but also in terms of the sort of relative activity index. And I think, and, and they put forward the hypothesis, which I think, you know, seems to be quite uh, reasonable that 
because we have uh, had a very high burden of HIV, because there's a lot of interest in our healthcare sector in HIV, there's also been a great deal of research in that area. So I think it's a combination of both um, the, you know, the expertise to actually do the research and put out the the, the 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 publications as well as the burden of disease. I think those two pieces coming together has led to the fact that South Africa features and you know it needs to be said we're number three after the United States, the United Kingdom and then South Africa, ahead of China and a number of other countries. Now this is despite South Africa being a small country what could be credited to the country punching it well above its weight in research publishing? Yeah, I think it is this combination that um, I think we have an extraordinary number of experts, um, you know, that really hold their heads up high. The other index that features in the report is the number of collaborations with people um, and institutions in the North. And again, you know, we really uh, punch above our weight in that regard. So I think it's been a combination of being able to um, get funding from from the North, from sort of first world institutions, get the research done, uh, together with the fact that technically we have the burden of disease and we really want to find the solutions that are South African based and relevant to South Africa. Now, Prof, which other African countries most impacted by the AIDS epidemic have done well in uh, producing HIV papers in relation to their country's total research publications? So the report singles out um, Uganda, um, Kenya, South Africa, and Nigeria. Those are the sort of top four, all of them African countries in a number of countries that they list that have these high relative activity indices. Um, And so, you know, I think, again, a feather in the continent's cap that um, we recognized we had a problem um, and we didn't sit back, we, we tackled it, and we have been researching and putting out uh, data for, for a good number of years now. Now, finally, Prof, why is it so important to understand research trends and to set new targets in the HIV-AIDS battle? You know, I think um, we, we aren't going to solve any of the world's, um, certainly, health problems without evidence. Um, and so I think it is important to continue to generate uh, evidence uh, that our solutions are actually based on good um, research uh, solutions and that we make sure that the world is, is aware of those um, trends and innovations. Um, and then we look to see where the gaps are so that we continue uh, to try to, particularly in the case of HIV, shut this epidemic down. But I think this is the trend that we need for all the public health challenges that we face today. So, you know, I think um, in many ways this is encouraging not only to ourselves here in South Africa, but I think to all low- and middle-income countries facing these kinds of problems that, you know, um, when we go out and and research and and generate publications, we also work towards um, finding solutions for our countries. Professor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Take care. You too. That's Linda Gale Becker, Professor of Medicine at the Desmond Tutu HIV Centre at the University of Cape Town in South Africa, joining us on the line. 
Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One. And YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. China's biggest e-commerce giant Alibaba Group is assisting Ethiopia to develop a platform for trading online. The company has signed a memorandum of understanding with Ethiopia to assist Ethiopian businessmen get their goods to the online market easily and extend the benefits to other countries in Africa. Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba and Ethiopia's Prime Minister Abe Ahmed, witnessed the agreement signing in Addis Ababa. Channel Africa's Koleta Wanjohi was there. The Electronic World Trade Platform is an initiative created by Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba in 2016. It aims to remove or reduce barriers that currently make it difficult for small and medium enterprises to sell and buy globally online. Ethiopia is ready to embrace it. Abi Ahmed, the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, explains. Electronic World Trade Platform creates a fair playing ground for small and medium enterprises enabling them to access information about export, opportunities, access to trade, finance, and logistics. It is, pro- it is pro- proving to be a game changer in the world of commerce and it will support Ethiopia's plan to be one of the five leading economies in Africa in the coming 10 years. Alibaba's founder, Jack Ma, says this new platform will serve as a gateway for Ethiopian products to China and new markets, and other African countries can use it too. Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba Group, explains. Today, here at this moment, I announced Jack Ma Foundation will raise from 10 million to 100 million U.S. dollars to support entrepreneurs in Africa. We will help to train more entrepreneurs in Africa. We will help more internet development, digital economy in Africa. And I believe the digital economy belongs to Africa. Alibaba launched the same platform in Rwanda in 2018. The company admits that one of the biggest challenges to develop cross-border e-commerce and to consequently implement this program is the different specific regulations that each country has. It says, for instance, a number of governments are contemplating raising, not lowering, taxes and tariffs on small package shipments. In Ethiopia, the private sector set to benefit from the platform is concerned of the low internet connectivity in the country and unstable internet. The country has only one telecom company that is state-run. Henok Asefa is the managing partner for Precise Consult. So infrastructure is another area where we haven't done much. Uh, As you know, there is a liberalization process going on with the telecom infrastructure. We're very hopeful that uh, we'll get more uh, public sector, but also increasingly now. So the the public sector has been the sole investor in this sector. Uh, Now we hope to see um, a lot of foreign investment and a lot of domestic investment coming in to prop this up. Because we we are one of the least connected countries in Africa and definitely in the rest of the world. Uh, And you heard the ambassador of China saying to get rich, you have to be connected. As the country sorts out its challenges, the untapped digital economy remains attractive to investors. While Alibaba's Jack Ma starts setting up shop here, the founder of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, is also in Ethiopia to meet with innovators and see how to do more business with Ethiopia.
Koleta Njohi, SBC News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature program that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective, can be heard every Wednesday at 1000 hours UCT, with repeats on Wednesday at 2000 hours, Thursday at 300 hours, and Sunday at 1300 hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective. Spotlight Africa. Our economics updates up next with Tabiso Luhuku. Thanks, Lulu, and a very good morning. Senior doctors at Zimbabwe's public hospitals have gone on strike in protest over the sackings of hundreds of junior doctors who've boycotted work for nearly three months in a pay dispute. The strikers paralyzed state hospitals used by Zimbabwe's poor majority. Zimbabwe is experiencing its worst economic crisis in a decade that has seen a resurgent inflation soaring to three-digit levels. The BBC's Shingai Nyoka reports. The senior doctors have been offering emergency medical services, but now they too have walked off the job and plunged the public health care system further into crisis. They are demanding that the fired junior doctors be reinstated and that their wage grievances be addressed. The junior doctors are asking for a 500% increase in salaries as a cushion against triple-digit inflation. The strike has seen many patients turned away. The government remains intransigent. On Tuesday, it announced that almost 450 doctors have been fired in ongoing disciplinary hearings. Political parties in the South African Parliament have come out in support of an equity partner for South African Airways. During a debate on the impact of the strike at the airline on Tuesday, parties said it was unsustainable that the taxpayer continues to pump money into SAA. Kaya Makata of the ruling ANC told the House that it is not fair for the taxpayer to continue to support the elite who use the airline. Magatla says the money should rather be used to support trains, buses and taxis, which are used by the majority. We may not always agree with the finance minister, but the recapitalization of these SOCs that continue to have bloated executive with the layers of managers with executive packs, managers who award worth dodge contract is morally very difficult to justify. Government must seek to find partners with aviation expertise to buy equity in SAA so that it can continue to fly the South African flag. We cannot continue subsidizing the rich. 
Meanwhile, the opposition DA member of parliament, Alf Lees, has called for South African Airways to be sold off. Lees says South Africans have had enough of SAA needing to be bailed out. It is only the ANC and the trade unions who stubbornly persist with maintaining SAA as a state-owned charity. SAA must be put into business rescue. The government guaranteed debt, debt will have to be accommodated and SAA must be sold for whatever the best offer received from Branson, Emirates, Ethiopian or any other buyer. Twitter says it will begin deleting accounts that have been inactive for more than six months unless they log in before the 11th of December deadline. The site is sending out emails to users of accounts that will be affected. Twitter says users who do not log in are unable to agree to its updated privacy policies. It is the first time Twitter has removed inactive accounts on such a large scale. The firm would not say how many current accounts fit the criteria, although it is expected to be in the many millions. Nigeria's central bank has left its benchmark lending rate on hold at 13.5% after a government decision to close borders with neighboring countries sent inflation to a 17-month high last month. Central Bank Governor Godwin Emefiele says that the decision by the bank's Monetary Policy Committee was unanimous. He says that the impact of the border closures on prices was reactionary and temporary and that the medium-term benefits of the government's decision outweighed the short-term costs. The U.S. dollar is trading at 360.77 Nigerian Nara, 10.73 Botswana Pula, 101.28 Kenyan Shilling and 14.48 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 423 Brazilian roll, 6395 Russian ruble, 7133 Indian rupee, 73 Chinese yuan, and 1478 to the South African rand. The US dollar is also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and at 90 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities markets now, gold $1,459, platinum $905 per ounce, so the price of brand crude oil is at $64.15 a barrel. I'm Tabisolohoko for Channel Africa. Our sports updates up next with Figile Lingwati. First up, it's football news in our sports update where Jose Mourinho survived a huge scare on his home debut at Tottenham Hotspur manager as his side came from 2-0 down to beat Olympiacos 4-2 and reach the last 16 of the Champions League. Last season's Champions League finalists can now look forward to the knockout stages for the third straight season, but will go through in second behind Bayern Munich in Group B after the German giant secured top spot with a 6-0 thrashing of Red Star Belgrade. Robert 
Lewandowski made Champions League history with four goals in 15 minutes as managerless. Bayern Munich roamed to a 6-0 win at Red Star Belgrade last night. It was the fastest four-goal haul in the competition's history and makes Lewandowski the top scorer in Europe this season with 10 goals in five games. He also saw a first-half strike ruled out by VAR for a handball in the build-up. English Premiership side Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp says Champions League visitors Napoli will be tough to beat tonight, regardless of the situation at the Italian club where the president is reportedly in a standoff with his coach and players. Gazette del Sport said Napoli president Aurelio De Laurentiis was set to find the club's players a quarter of their monthly wages after they broke off a week-long training retreat this month in what Italian media called a mutiny. What we expect is that it will make them stronger. So that's what we have to expect, absolutely. So that they, um, whatever is there exactly, I have really not, not a proper idea about what exactly happened, but if I would be part of the team as a player, I would try to bring the group together and fight against all the things from outside. So that's what we have to expect. And how I said, Carlo is the most experienced manager in world football and is used to deal with difficult situations and he will make the best of it 100%. A win for either side will assure qualification with a game to spare and both teams will qualify regardless of the result if winless gank beat Red Bull Salzburg. If Liverpool do go through to make the final game in Salzburg on the 10th of December unimportant, Klopp was asked if this would help them with their fixture pile-up which includes a League Cup semi-final on the 17th of December and the FIFA Club World Cup semi-final in Doha, Qatar, just 24 hours later. No, I'm, I'm fine. We made that decision. We had to make a decision. We made that decision and that, that's how we did it. And um, it's all good. We, we knew about 90% of all the games we have. And there were two games which we were not 100% sure. That was the Club World Cup. Then we decided to, to go there. And then we had to make a decision about the, um, the League Cup. That's what we made, did, and um, so now it's exactly like we know since a couple of weeks. So um, that's it. Uh, it's a tough program, of course, but it's we don't think about the, the really the, the fixture list we have in the next in the next weeks or months. We think about Napoli tomorrow, um, and after that we will see how we deal with um, Brighton. After that, how we deal with Everton. After that, Bournemouth, then Salzburg, then Watford, and then Qatar. So that's how it is. So it's a, a lot to come, but. Um, in a moment, my only concern is Napoli. Athletics. Russia's anti-doping chief said on Tuesday he expected the country to be barred from all sporting competitions for four years after a bombshell recommendation from the World Anti-Doping Agency that shocked Russian athletes. WADA's Compliance Review Committee recommended the ban on Monday, accusing Moscow of falsifying laboratory data handed over to investigators. It recommended Russia also face a four-year ban from staging or bidding for major international sporting events, potentially putting St. Petersburg status as a venue for the Euro 2020 football tournament in jeopardy. The committee's recommendation is set to go before Wilder's executive committee at a meeting in Paris on the 9th of December. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. 
Afrika Zola Afrika amka na unai Recapping our top stories on Africa Vras and Shanet Asawa. Namibians go to the polls today to elect a new president and parliament and DRC protesters accuse peacekeepers of failing to protect them from rebel attacks. That wraps up Africa Vras and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzura Magadza, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Black Coffee featuring Asha with a song titled La La La. Just a little while 